God's faithfulness, we um, have reason to reflect on his faithfulness. Uh, this past week at soccer camp, uh, we had a great week. Thank you for everybody who participated in soccer camp. We have a ton of people involved with that, and uh, it went off great. We had a fantastic week and a great week of, of uh, seeing kids being taught the Word of God and having fun playing soccer. Heard a couple testimonies this morning of uh, some coaches saying that their kids, uh, they don't go to church anywhere, that there is no exposure to the gospel for them until last week. And so we rejoice in the gospel being proclaimed. We had a number of kids make professions of faith. And uh, we think about singing, great is thy faithfulness, that our God is faithful. Whenever we proclaim his word, it works. Uh, In a couple weeks, we're going to be in Isaiah 55, that God's word does not return void. It does work. Um, Rejoicing at camp, at Twin Lakes Camp, appreciate the counselors, CITs that are there. God's at work. We had a number of students uh, profess faith in Christ this week there. I think they had 21 uh, is what I heard. And so just rejoicing in that, that our God is at work. Well, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. So if you'll turn in there your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. At this time, the kids can go to be dismissed at Children's Church. Appreciate those who help out with Children's Church, with the kids. And they're off, right? They were those two guys were at soccer camp all week, and they ran like that the whole week. I'm not the coaches. We're not quite moving that fast today. Um, Matthew chapter 10 is our text this morning. We're going to begin in verse 16. But as we think about uh, this week, this week is obviously a significant week for our country. Uh, we celebrate the 4th of July, uh, 1776. On that date, uh, the Declaration of Independence was signed by 56 different men. And those, uh, as we think about the Declaration of Independence, the last sentence of the Declaration of Independence says this, And for support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. As those individuals, those 56 men, signed that Declaration of Independence, they knew that that was going to come at a significant cost. That, that, that having signed their name to that, and that document being read in England in many ways as a revolt and saying, we're not paying taxes, we are our own people, we're not going to be a part of you anymore, they knew that there was going to be a great cost associated with that. And these individuals, they took the commitment seriously. Uh, They took it very seriously. Of the 56 signers, five of them were captured and tortured by the British. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two of his sons captured. Nine of the 56 signers fought and died from hardships of the Revolutionary War. As we think, as those men signed that document, and we hear them talking about pledging their lives, their fortunes, and the sacred honor, they did not take it lightly. And nor did they backtrack once they had signed it and things get difficult. They did not back off and think, well, I really didn't know all that I was getting into. They paid the price that came with signing up or signing their names on a declaration of independence. As we look in Matthew 10, that we see Jesus calling his disciples to go. He calls his disciples to go. He, he calls them, the 12 disciples to himself, and he sends them out on a mission. And they understood that what was at stake in this was something really significant. We would pick that up at the end of the book of Matthew when Jesus tells us all to go and make disciples of all nations 
to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God is calling us to a mission of going. And in our text this morning, we see the, the, the nature of that calling. I've titled the message this morning, I, I've, I've titled it Sheep, Serpents, and Doves. And I think we're having some more problems with our uh, PowerPoint stuff, so listen carefully. You have to listen even more than usual, uh, but we'll get these in here. But what we're seeing in this, in Matthew 10, look, at, look what he says in verse 5 of Matthew 10. To these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, and here's the word, go. That's the word he wants to know. And they're to go to the Gentiles, and, and last week we looked at what they were supposed to do. And this morning, in verse 16, is where we're going to pick up this morning, it says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what, or what, you, are to, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against their parents and hand them over to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone throughout all the towns of Israel before the, man of, the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they had called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? As we see this call, Jesus is calling these disciples to be prepared. He is calling them to prepare for persecution. As he sends them out, he says to them, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, most of you have not, uh, us have not grown up on sheep farms, and we don't know a lot about wolves because we don't have experience, but we're wise enough to know that what is the relationship typically between sheep and wolves? Is it a warm, healthy relationship? No, right? Unless you're the wolf who likes warm lamb, right? Because what do wolves do to lambs? They eat them. They devour them. They chase them down. They pursue them. They are ferocious with their teeth and they rip sheep apart. And we read here that Jesus says to his disciples, and I think to us as well, he says, I am sending you go. And we hear that in some ways we think it's like it's a Man, it's a wonderful thing. Jesus sends me to go, and I'm going to go and follow Jesus, and the world's going to applaud. The world's going to be excited that I'm following Jesus, and I'm committed to Jesus, and I, and I love Him because He's given His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and raise from the dead. This is a message that everybody needs, and so I'm going to take it, and people will certainly devour it. They will love this message. But we realize that's not the case. Because this good news of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for sinners begins with the message that we are sinners. And we don't like that. 
I mean, we kind of like, I mean, we're okay with it in a general sense. In a general sense to know I'm a sinner. Okay, I get that. But when it comes to really specific kind of sins, like you, you've lied, you've stolen, you've had immoral thoughts, you've taken advantage of other people, you've not loved your spouse as Christ loves the church, you've not loved your neighbor as you love, as you love yourself. And as we start to put all that together, we realize, I'm not sure I like this whole idea of sinner because it makes me feel guilty. And yet that's the, that's the nature of it. When, when I was in, at Purdue, I had a philosophy class. I was a brand new believer as a senior at Purdue, and this philosophy 101 class, I had to take it just because you have to take it. And um, this guy, the professor, was from Nigeria, and his name was Sam. Sam, not really long, but we called him Sam. And he was in this class, and he was making this case that Christianity is bad for our world. It's been bad for the world because it's created more harm than good. And now I'm a new believer, and I thought, something about that's not right. And so he goes on and he says, the reason why Christianity has done more harm in our world than good is because it makes people feel guilty and feel bad about themselves. And I thought, hmm. And I'm a brand new believer at this point, but, but I knew enough of the gospel to be able to say, I raised my hand and I said, but, but Sam, I said, if we understand Christianity correctly, Christianity doesn't bring guilt, we're already guilty. So what Christianity brings is freedom from that guilt and forgiveness. And his response was not amen. His response was, <laughs> it was not. His response, that's the right response for us, but his response was, I'll have to think about that. And he didn't come back to it or whatever. But, but, but we see that oftentimes our world sees Christianity as that, but Christianity is, is in as many ways, as we begin to share the gospel, we're like the doctor who tells you you've got a really serious condition. And the doctor doesn't give you that condition. You already have it. But until you hear the nature of your condition, you have... I mean, let's suppose a doctor came in and he examined you and then he comes in and he says, listen, tomorrow morning we're going to start a serious round of chemotherapy. Your hair is going to fall out. You're going to lose a ton of weight. You're going to be sick and miserable for months and months and months. So let's get started. What? Why would I do that? Is something wrong with me? No, you're okay. I mean, because really, you're a good person deep down, and things are good, but we just need to do this because it'll make you a little better. Well, how many of us would sign up for that? Well, none of us would. But if the doctor comes in and he says, I have some horrible news for you. You have a malignant cancer that is going to take your life in a matter of months unless we do something aggressive. And our response at that point is, well, have at it. I'm all in. I don't, I, don't know, I don't care what it is. I'm all in because I need help. And as we see the gospel, that is the nature of our gospel. But, but because the gospel talks about sin, it, it, people don't like it. And so whenever we obey Jesus and we go, that we take the gospel and we begin to go, and if we're going to be honest and share the fullness of the gospel, we're going to be talking about sin. And when we talk about sin, the people that look really nice, their teeth will often come out. That there are, God, Jesus is sending us as sheep amongst wolves. And it's important for us to see a passage like this because, I mean, on the face value of it, we realize that doesn't sound very nice. I mean, Jesus is going to send us to wolves? Doesn't he know that that's dangerous? Well, I think he does. 
And we think, well, why would he do that? Doesn't he care about us? But then we would read ahead a little bit in our Bible and we learn in John chapter 10 that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So we can't say that Jesus is sending us to the wolves because he doesn't care about us, but we realize that he does love us and he's sending us on a really difficult mission and a scary mission, but he loves us. But, but So why does he send us to the wolves? Well, it's not simply because Jesus loves us, but he also loves the wolves. He loves the people who hate him. He loves the people who nailed him to the cross. He loves sinners, just like us. And as he transforms our hearts, as he changes us from being wolves into sheep, he now puts us, sends us as sheep back to the wolves. And he sends us to the wolves so that they too can hear the gospel and they too may be saved. And so Jesus begins by telling us, prepare for persecution. And as he talks about a sheep, as he talks about serpents, and he talks about doves, that we need to be faithful, wise, and harmless. Those are the words that as we tie the sheep, a serpent, a sheep, a serpent, and a dove, that we would be faithful wise and harmless as we face hostility because of the gospel. Faithful, wise, harmless. We're facing hostility. This first idea, be faithful. That we would be faithful to the gospel message. That we would realize that, that if, if Jesus is the good shepherd and I am a sheep, how do sheep and shepherds relate? How about this? John 10 says this. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And this is a beautiful picture as Jesus is saying, Okay, you're my sheep. I'm sending you to wolves. I care about you, I love you, and I am going to hold on to you, and you are going to be absolutely secure. The verse says this. It says that, that no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So, so do you think that if, if we're in Jesus' hand, and we're in the Father's hand, and a wolf comes to eat us, is, he, is that wolf going to have any chance? It's not. Not in an eternal sense. But we need to realize that the worst thing a wolf could do to us is kill us. Now, we're going to have to read, you have to come back next week because we're going to get to that part of it about who we fear and how we fear. But this realization that I belong to the Good Shepherd, He loves me, He laid down His life for me, I'm to go and I'm to be faithful. And it's scary to go. It, listen, it's, it can be scary to take the gospel to other people. We don't know how they're going to respond. We don't know what they're going to do. And, and it's scary. And yet the challenge for us is, what will I do? Will I be obedient and go and take the gospel? Look, I want to see, see an example of this. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter, five, chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus has risen from the dead. He has... Um, 
Uh, risen from the dead, he commissions his disciples, says to them, you are uh, going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth, as he tells them that. And as they go, the church begins to grow, but persecution and hostility raises up. And there is this guy by the name of Saul, who becomes a wolf. And he is a wolf and pursuing Christians, and he wants to put them in jail. He wants to destroy them. Look how chapter 9 of the book of Acts begins. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he reproached Damascus. So, Paul, Saul here is a wolf, and he is heading to Damascus. And what's he want to do when he gets to Damascus? He wants to chew up and spit out believers, bind them, bring them to Jerusalem, and and have them punished. But what happens on his way there? It says in uh, verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone round him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Whom are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate or drank. Now here's where we're going. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has, and that here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who are of your name. So Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's, he's heading up there as a wolf. God converts him. Ananias doesn't know that part of it, but God says to Ananias, says, hey, I want you to go up to Damascus. And there's a guy there named Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias' response is what? What? Don't, if in a context of Matthew 10, listen, God, don't you understand? I'm a sheep and he's a wolf. I go up there to look for this guy. What's he going to do to me? And, and it's interesting because God doesn't really respond to him. And he simply says to him, but the Lord said, Go. Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, as we realize that we need to prepare for persecution, that we must be faithful. Yes, God's sending us to wolves. Yes, it can be scary. Yes, it can be dangerous. But God has sent us. And the question isn't, is it safe? 
The question is, will I be faithful? Will you be faithful? But as he goes, he tells us that we are sheep, but he also says to be wise as serpents. Wise as serpents. Because, listen, you're going to wolves, and their favorite food, their favorite food is lamb chops. I mean, they're going to see you coming, and they're licking their lips. They just, they want to chew you up. And so, so when we go to the wolves, when we take the gospel, he would say to us, be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't go to them and offer yourself, yourself on a platter to say, here I am, chew me up and spit me out. That, that we need to realize that as we take the gospel to others, we need to avoid needless attacks. We need to be careful. We don't need to do dumb stuff that paints a target on us. Sometimes we, we've done that. Churches have done that. We sometimes get really a little more tied to politics than we do to the gospel. And whenever we start talking politics and we bleed our politics and our faith and those get merged, we start having heated debates and discussions that sound a whole lot more like, like the evening news channels, the 24-hour news channels, and they do gospel and we end up painting a target, and they're like, they just want to chew us up and spit us out over political things. We need to be wise. We need to be wise to not enter into pointless controversies, that we don't cause unnecessary conflicts, that we realize that if people are going to attack us, that it wouldn't be because of our foolishness, it wouldn't be because of our arrogance, it wouldn't be because of the manner in which we conduct ourselves, but why they get mad at us is because of the gospel. That what we are saying is that there is a God who has created you and you're living in rebellion against him. But he has made a way for you to be saved. And if you would repent and believe the gospel, God will transform your life. And that is a message of hope. And yet those who hear it, they hear that first part of it, I'm not a sinner, I'm not that bad. They don't want anything to do with that. And yet we need to be very wise. We need to be faithful. We need to be wise. We also need to be harmless. Be in, it says in our passage back in Matthew 10, to be innocent as doves. And I think this idea of innocent as doves, that we're not being abrasive, coarse, crass, but in many ways what we're reflecting is love. That as we would take the gospel, these characteristics would identify us, that we would be patient and kind, that we wouldn't be envious, we wouldn't be boastful, we wouldn't be arrogant or rude, that we wouldn't insist on our own ways, we wouldn't be irritable or rude, we wouldn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but that we would, that, that we would rejoice in the truth, that we would bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. As we go, we would go with love. That, that we would not let, listen, we would not let their hostility extinguish our love for them we must be careful not to let the hostility of others towards us extinguish our love for them we see that in the character of jesus as jesus is heading to jerusalem in the last week when they're going to kill him he is weeping over the city because he cares about them because he loves them that we would be believers who go, that we would be sheep who are faithful, that we would be serpents who are wise, and we would be doves who are harmless. And all of these are characteristics that reflect our good shepherd. Well, as we continue back in Matthew 10, 
as we continue in our passage, look what it says in verse 17. He says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them to the Gentiles. And what we see in this is that you're, he says to us, you're going to face trouble. That, that you will face trouble. That you will face trouble from the religious people, those people in the synagogues. They're dragging you into their synagogues to flog you, but they're also taking you before kings and governors. So the religious people will be on the attack and the non-religious people are going to be on the attack. We see that even in our culture. I mean, it astounds me that there are people who would profess the name of Jesus but be unwilling to call sin, sin. And those who do talk about sin are then attacked because of their stand on saying what the gospel says. In many ways, our culture says, listen, church, we want you to be like Jesus because Jesus is real loving and stuff, but we don't want you telling us all about this Bible stuff. Which is exactly, think, think what happened all the way back in Genesis 3. The serpent told Adam and Eve, if you want to be like God, what do you have to do? If you want to be like God, you have to defy God's word. Because if you can be like God by eating of the fruit, and if I defy God, I eat of that fruit, I can be like God. And that's what our world says today. If you want to be like Jesus, ignore Jesus' words. And we would see that also, the hostility come from there. We'd also see hostility coming from our government. Listen, we, we've looked, this past week, past couple of weeks, the Supreme Court's handed down a bunch of rulings, free speech and some stuff on religious liberty, about cake bakers, about are they, can they willingly serve homosexuals and, and, uh, and, and same-sex couples and serving them, making them cakes for them, making them a, a cupcakes, all that, which they do, and it's no problem. But whenever they were asked, the cake bakers asked, will you, I, I was, these are my words, celebrate our wedding with us by using your talent to make a cake, the cake baker says, no. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to serve you, but I'm not going to participate in that because I don't, I don't believe that's God's design for marriage. So the case gets all the way to the Supreme Court. These, these things going on in our culture, because we have a biblical moral stand on issues, creates issues. Now, we look at this in our culture and we're like, man, this is, this is serious persecution maybe breaking out in our country. And listen, there's a level that this is it's not good, but it doesn't compare to what our brothers and sisters around the world face. I mean, I think that we need to be careful about how bad we kind of talk like we have it because there are believers our brothers and sisters in christ in muslim countries in the world that they will lose their jobs they can lose their families they can even lose their lives because of their stand for christ and 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 i i think that we should be you know we have these constitutional let's let's pursue those i'm all about that but we need to be careful that we're not making it sound like man we've got this worst in the world it's the worst thing ever that I have to make a cake for somebody I don't want to. Now, there's a level. That's wrong. I don't, I'm not saying that it's not. But to realize that, that when we're talk, reading in this passage, we're going to read, it says, people will deliver you over to do what? To death. To kill you. And, and, and listen, and so in our culture, it's easy for us to kind of be afraid to think, what's going to happen? How are people treating us? But listen, we, we, we are afraid of that because in our community, in our culture, the most persecution most of us have faced 
or will face right now is the furrowed brow of, you believe that? You think that's a sin? And, and, and then they don't like us anymore. And we're like, oh, the wolves are coming to eat me. They don't like me. And we're all kind of freaked out about that. Because, frankly, we oftentimes love the applause of people and their approval much more than we do the applause and approval of our God. That I'm burdened that oftentimes we are very, very soft as believers. And when something hard comes, whether it's a trial in our life, whether it's a hardship at work, whether it's family dynamics or, 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 or some sort of persecution that people don't like me, that we're like, ah, man, is it really worth following Jesus for this? That in many ways we need a reality check. That, that Jesus is saying to these people, go, I'm sending you as sheep amongst the wolves. These people, these disciples that he's specifically talking to, 12, all 12 of them, will, their lives will end because of the gospel. They will be martyred, every one of them, except John, who gets exiled. The call of Jesus is a significant call on our lives. And I think sometimes that we just think, well, it would help my family a little better and if I maybe be a little better employee and, and you know, life will be a little better if I follow Jesus. And some of those things may be true. But are we truly willing to count the cost to take the gospel? Because that's when the gospel becomes costly is when we begin talking about it. Well, he continues in this passage in verse 19 by saying, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, or what you are, for what you will say will be given to you in that hour. And so he's saying, listen, as you store up God's Word in your heart, as you're learning God's Word and understanding His truth, whenever they drag you before court, you don't need to put together some big speech about what you're going to say ahead of time. God, the Spirit of God, is going to use He's going to work in you to bring out this truth and you're going to speak. Don't be all worried about that. He goes on then in, in, verse, 9, in, 20, in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. When you get that, this is hard to get. That brother is going to turn his brother over to be killed. And it says, and a father, his child, and, and then children will rise against their parents to have them put to death. I mean, this is, this is significant heat, family turmoil, this division. Why? Because being a Christian is seen as being such a horrific thing that it's better for somebody to die than to be let continue to talk about this. As we would see this, that, that we certainly we need to trust the provision of the Spirit Okay? As we look at this, trust the provision of the Spirit when you speak among wolves, so trust His wisdom. But then, as we look at this as well, that we have to stay committed to Christ and His mission even when everybody hates you. That's what the next verse says. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I don't know how that hits you, but that hits me pretty tough. Because I guess I'm, the fear of man has a role in all of us, and it affects me. But to be thinking about hated by everybody, 
because of Jesus. I really can't imagine what that's like. I mean, it's like going to, the, going to Kroger and you're doing some shopping at Kroger. And when you're stop, going, walking through there, the people, they see you and they're like, hey, it's good to see you, Steve. Great guy, great community guy, involved in a lot of stuff, soccer camp for kids, all that stuff. Hey, it's great to see you kind of stuff. But instead, they walk by and they, they look at you and they turn away or they sneer and like, I can't believe it. It's what it's like for some of our brothers and sisters around the world. And are we willing to count the cost, hated by all, that we can expect this? And it's not all without exception. It's not as though everybody in the world is going to hate you because there are other brothers and sisters who are going to love you. But the all is everybody without exception. Jews, Gentiles, whatever race, whatever class, whatever nationality, you proclaim the gospel and, and they're all going to hate you. In our culture, we can say, who all hates you? The feminists, the Marxists, the Republicans, the Libertarians, the Democrats, the pro, everybody will hate you. Why? Because you don't march lockstep with them. And we realize, are we willing to stay committed to Christ and his mission even when everyone hates us? And it's in the context of this that we realize that we need the church. You see, we belong to the Good Shepherd. Our lives are not our own. We belong to the Good Shepherd. He has laid down His life for us. Family members, neighbors, others may not like you. They may be opposed to your message. And they have no reason for it. You're a sheep. You're innocent as a dove. It has nothing to do with you, but it's about your identity with Jesus. And as we think about this, what is it that shapes our lives? What's shaping my life? Is it a fear of those who, who would like furrow their brow at me because I've, I follow Jesus? That I believe in a biblical morality? That, I, that I, I trust what God says about these things? Will I turn away? Will I deny Christ? Will I, will I water down what I believe? Will I pretend it's not that big of a deal because I want people to like me? Or will I identify with my Savior and talk to them about truth, talk to them about love, about grace, about mercy? As we read on in this passage, it says, in verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And it doesn't mean that, that those who get all the way to the end will finally be saved, but it means that those who are saved, they're going to get to the end. That, that believers persevere because the Father preserves us. And as we see that, and, and, and he says then the next phrase, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And so we get this idea, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. What we would learn from that is, it's not wrong to flee danger, but it is wrong to flee our duty. It's not wrong to flee danger, so I'm, uh, they're going to kill me here, and I don't have to stay and get killed. I can flee. But when we flee, what do we do when we get over here? Continue to fulfill our duty as believers. That it's okay to flee danger. It's not okay to flee duty. God has given us a responsibility. We are sheep sent among wolves to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we proclaim it?
are we proclaiming it? As we see this, that, that, that then as we see all this unfold in verse 24 and 25, we see this. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is Satan, the Lord of the flies, if they call Jesus that, how much more will they malign those of his household? And the point here is that we need to expect to be treated like Jesus. We need to expect to be treated like Jesus. There were times when Jesus was praised. But how was Jesus treated? It says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call Jesus Satan, the devil, what are they going to call us? And should we be surprised at this? That we are his disciples. We are servants of his household. Jesus is our master. Jesus was crucified by people who hated him. Listen, as we hear this message about being sheep, as being serpents, as being doves, to know that God is calling us to a significant, a significant purpose, a gospel purpose. And as we look around our culture, and I know oftentimes we wring in our hands as we watch the news and we watch the political stuff going on and the Congress and immigration and all the things going on, it's easy to wring our hands about how terrible and how things are falling apart and nobody can get along and everybody's fighting and we, we, we can become almost anxious about that. But listen, church, I will tell you that my burden is that we can wring our hands and exert a lot of energy over those things. But the question is, are we fulfilling our mission by taking the gospel to our neighbors? I look at a town like Crawfordsville. There are, there are 90 plus churches in Montgomery County. Let's suppose that, whatever you may think, let's suppose that 10% of them are really working hard to be biblical. Now, there may be more than that, but let's suppose that only 10% of them working really hard to be biblical. 90, 10%, nine churches. Do you think that nine churches of people about our size or maybe bigger, passionately seeking to get the gospel in our community could make a difference in our community? See, part of it I want to say, well, I don't know. I want to say I don't know because I'm not sure we've been doing it. I think it would make a tremendous difference if we were seeing people come to know Jesus. Do you, do you want to see people come to know Jesus? Are you thankful that you know Jesus, that, that, that the God grabbed hold of your heart and opened your eyes to the beauty of His grace and He's given you that? Are you thankful for that? And, and here's a question. How did you learn about that? Somebody told you, didn't they? There are a few of you that would say, I was just reading the Bible. But most of us, Somebody told you. Somebody told us the gospel. And we just hope that as we... I'm convinced that we want our community, we want our neighbors hearing the gospel, we want the people in Crawfordsville, Montgomery County, we want them to hear the gospel because we know that it has power. There is a power of Christ, the salvation to all who believe. We believe that. But we just want somebody else to tell them. Right? I mean, I do. I mean, frankly, to be real honest, I would much rather somebody else... I mean, I've got family members that aren't saved. I would much rather one of you talk to them about Jesus than me because it's really uncomfortable because I want to see them saved. But 
where's, who's God put in their life? Me. Who's God put in the life of the people that you want to be saved? You. See, God sends us. He sends us as sheep amongst wolves. And we realize that the, the wolves in our culture right now, their teeth aren't that sharp. They're not going to kill us for telling the gospel. They just might not like us. But I'm burdened because sometimes I think that we, for some of us, that might be like death. I would rather them kill me than not like me. To the point of being disobedient to Jesus. And that says more about our love for Jesus and our love for them than it does a passion we have for them. I want us to see this morning as this persecution comes that we would prepare ourselves for this, but that we would prepare ourselves for it simply by knowing that it's coming, that persecution, it, it was, it was not, we're not going to be popular by sharing the gospel. Right? And if we think that, listen, if we think that being cool is what people are going to love and if they, I'm, they like me, they'll like Jesus, and if we think that's going to be the manner in which we're going to engage them, there's going to be a point where they won't like you Listen, we can do soccer camp all week. Rock Point can do love week all year round. We can do things that love our community and demonstrate them. But when we say to our community, sin is wrong and these are, and start naming sins and that people are engaged with, it doesn't matter how many meals you've given them, how, much, how, much, how nice you were to them, their kids at soccer camp. They're not going to care. Now, we need to do those things. They're good and healthy. But the battle is for the heart. And do we have a heart for the gospel? Do we have a heart for Jesus? Do we have a heart to see other people saved? God's call, go. He is sending us. And the challenge for us is, will we go? We think back to the signers of the Declaration of Independence, that they pledged their life, their fortune, and their sacred honor to establish this nation. And I am incredibly thankful for that. But as thankful as I am for this nation, I also know that God raises up nations and he brings them down. But the gospel and the word of God continues forever. And if these, there were individuals who laid down their lives, their fortunes and sacred honor to establish our nation, shouldn't we be at least as passionate about seeing people's lives transformed by the gospel, willing to lay down our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Because we love Jesus. We love our Savior. And because we love our neighbor. And we put those together means that we go. I want to encourage you this morning to consider, examine yourself, and to think, am I going? And I'd maybe ask the next question. This a little bit of homework. Who can you begin to talk to about the gospel? I'd just maybe encourage you to write that on your notes somewhere and says, I'm going to work to begin communicating the gospel with this person. Rather than just saying, yep, I need to do it, hold yourself accountable and then say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray, and uh, after we pray, uh, we're going to receive our morning offering, and Pastor Nate has a few announcements, but... Uh, let us pray, and then as we receive the offering, I encourage you to take a look at your bulletin on the back side of it. Uh, on the notes, there are some questions. Maybe encourage you to interact with that during this offering time.
So if ushers will come, I'll pray, and we'll continue on. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love us. Lord, you have, you've made us your sheep. That You've made us your sheep by shedding your blood. And Lord, we thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient sheep, that we would be faithful sheep, that we would be wise serpents, that we would be innocent doves. And we would do this because we love you and because we love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.